and open your Bibles this morning. I don't have a place for you to turn yet, but that way you just have them open so you're ready. Amen. Um, we're in our series of um, Is It Really So? Um, different cliches, things that maybe are sometimes said or um, repeated that um, may be partial true or um, may not be scriptural at all. And um, one of the ones we're going to be talking about today, is there a difference between big and little sins um, to God? Is there a difference between big and little sins to God? You know, I noticed in the beginning of our series, like sometimes when I would pose these questions, people would shake their head one way or the other. But now nobody shakes their head because sometimes we end up getting surprised. Amen. Um, commentation is there are no big sins or little sins to God because everything um, of its sin, it is sin. And, um, and that they'll say that the Bible does not make a distinction between big sins or little sins, that sin in general is condemned, and indeed sin in general is condemned. And, um, but then it's commonly said that all sins are equal in God's eyes. And, um, and they'll quote some scriptures. Um, one of them is Matthew 5.21 where um, Jesus talks about um, how he, it was written of old that ye shall not kill. But I say unto you that he that is angry with his brother without cause shall be in danger of judgment. And then he also said that whosoever looketh upon a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. And um, so, another passage is often used is James 2.10 for whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty um, of all. Now, if you break one sin, then you're guilty of it all. That you've broken the law, you are a transgressor of the law. And usually the, the statement that there are no little sins and there are, are no big sins usually come from two different perspectives. One perspective would be a Christian say, saying, you know what? We need to guard against sin. No matter how little we may think it is, it is sin indeed. And, and so we need to abstain from it. And so that's one perspective that would usually say that. But the other perspective and the more dangerous perspective is um, that they'll say, say things like if they're being confronted or talked to about their sin or sometimes just in the presence of a Christian, they end up getting this guilty conscious and just kind of lash out and say, you know what, my sin is no worse than your sin. Or, you know, why can't I do this at the church? Why can't I serve in this leadership capacity because I struggle with this sin when everyone else sins? Someone maybe has to sin with pride or um, maybe it's lust and people just don't see it so it's not as public. And so sometimes they'll use that um, thought pattern to condone that, you know what, I should be able to continue to serve in leadership or I should be able to um, live how I want because we're all sinners anyways. I, ha um, I saw someone even post on Facebook um, recently, nobody, nobody here. I'm not going to be trying to take stuff from people who said here and start bullying from the pulpit. Okay? But I saw someone else post on Facebook um, that, you know, uh, 
that don't judge me just because my sin is different from your sin. You see, the attitude isn't, oh, you know what, I need to repent, I need to turn from my sin. It's, let me live how I want, because you're a sinner too. You know what, let us just live in sin. And that's not what the Bible teaches. Um, people will say things like, you know what, your judgmental attitude is just as bad as me sleeping with my girlfriend, and so you can't um, confront me about my sin. But we do see in the Scriptures there are places where Someone is confronted. We see in the scriptures, Paul told them they needed to confront the man that was sleeping with his stepmom. It wasn't something to just be, oh, you know what, we're all sinners, so you know what, just let them have their own sin. It's not what the Bible teaches. Um, The danger of the common thought of there are no little sins and big sins is rationalizing our own faults Um, by comparing them with the sins of others. Um, If we took that attitude um, that something is susceptible simply because another Christian does it, or some great Christian leader in the past did, then we could justify just about anything. No, yes, it's true. We are all sinners. We, We all fall short of the glory of God. But that doesn't mean we try to justify it because someone great did it. You know, Charles Spurgeon, the prince of preachers, had an addiction to smoking cigars. That doesn't mean it's something that we should take into hand. Oh, you know what? Oh, since this great preacher did, this is something we should do. D.L. Moody was so overweight that he would literally rest his stomach on the pulpit while he preached. It isn't. Um, mean that because he had, had that problem that we should have gluttony and not care for our health. You know, you could become the, the, a combination of the worst traits of the best people who have ever lived when we have this attitude. Um, we could start justifying, you know, denying the Lord because Peter the Apostle did. Or commit murder and adultery because David, who was a man after God's own heart, um, did. And we're never to imitate or emulate the faults of great people, of great Christians in the past or today. We'll, we'll never grow in our Christian walk by imitating the faults of others. We ought to emulate the good things, the, 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 the good traits, but not the um, bad traits. And not allow someone else's sin to become the excuse for our own sin. And so what, what the Word of God teaches about sin, one, is that there are, true, there are no sins that are acceptable. We're not to look at sin and think, you know what, this is just a little sin, it's okay for me to do it. That this isn't going to cause me that much trouble. That's not what we're to do. Um, and again, so not everyone that says there are no little sin and big sins in God's eyes are trying to justify their sin. Many of them are trying to live a holy life. So it, sometimes this view comes from both perspectives. But there are no sins in which God says, oh, don't worry about it. It's no big deal. We don't find that in Scripture. Let's go ahead and turn to James chapter 2. James James 2 and verse 9 says, But if ye have respect to persons, ye commit sin, and are convinced of the law as transgressors. 
For whosoever shall keep the whole law, and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. For he that said, Do not commit adultery, said also, Do not kill. Now if thou commit no adultery, yet if thou kill, thou art become a transgressor of the law. So speak ye, and so do, as they that shall be judged by the law of liberty. So here we see that, you know what, sin is confronted. That, that yes, you know, we're not to compare our sin and think that we are more spiritual because someone else has this sin problem and we don't. Because, you know what, someone else maybe has had the sin of adultery, but someone else has the sin of being partial, of, of showing a respect for persons, um, not in the sense of showing respect as far as in honoring someone, but as far as in honoring someone and then putting down another. It could with varying prejudices. And um, this, is, this is not teaching that if you've ever told a lie, you might as well go kill someone. Okay? It doesn't mean um, if you've ever looked at pornography, you might as well go ahead and physically commit adultery. It's not saying that if you've gossiped, then you might as well go ahead and steal, because you're already a transgressor of the law at all. Of course, it does not mean this. Think of the Ten Commandments as ten links in a chain. Ten links in a chain, and imagine you're holding on to the bottom one over the pits of hell. How many links do you have to break in order to fall? Which one? The bottom one, the middle one, or the top one? Any one. Okay, as far as the matter of eternity is, it just takes one sin and we're doomed. We fall short of the glory of God. And I guarantee you, all of us have committed a lot more than just one sin. All of us have committed sins a lot more than you can put on both hands or on, on both feet as well. But James' point is trying to say we all have broken the law of God. Regardless of what the sin is, we have fallen short. We have been transgressors of the law. But that is not meaning that there are not some sins that are worse than others. I was reading a book. Um, it gave a story about a case about someone that was getting busted for possession of drugs. And the defense attorney, in questioning the prospective jurors, asked the man whether he made a distinction between large offenses and small offenses. The man replied, I believe that if you borrow a penny, you are in debt. And true that is, you know. Whether it was a million dollars or a penny, it's still debt. Either way. And they end up dismissing this juror and stuff because he didn't want um, the people thinking there were small or, um, or, or that, that there weren't a difference. He wanted him to think that there was um, a difference. But yet at the same time, it probably would be easier to forgive someone that had a penny of debt against you than if they owed you $100,000 and stuff. Some things may be overlooking. Now, God does not overlook our sin. But as we'll find in the Scriptures, the Scriptures does also teach there are degrees and magnitudes of different sin. 
And um, there, there are different consequences. Now, all sin grieves and displeases God. The Bible says, if I regard iniquity in mine heart, then the Lord will not hear me. The Bible says, grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. When we sin, regardless of what it is, we grieve the Spirit of God. And while the word, no sin is good, there are some sins that are worse than others. Different sins have different consequences. That does not mean that we then now try to compare ourselves and go, hey, you know what? At least my sin's not as bad as them. But neither should we just, we should not justify our sin um, in, in, in that fashion by thinking, you know what? All sins are equal, so my sin's okay. It's not what we're saying. Some of you have probably been pulled over by a police officer. Maybe for going 8, 10 miles per hour over the speed limit. And maybe he let you off, gave you a warning, and let you go. But I doubt if anyone was going 30 miles per hour over the speed limit, got pulled over, the police officer probably wouldn't just give you a warning. There probably would be a greater consequence for um, that infraction. infraction. Um, if someone gets caught stealing an iPhone from a store, there's going to be consequences that he goes through. But it is probably not going to be life in prison or the death penalty. The punishment, usually we try to have the punishment fit the crime. And we see that throughout the Old Testament. We see that throughout um, the New Testament as well. We see, we see that when they had made the golden calf, that Moses said, you have sinned a great sin. And he went and prayed to the Lord and, and, and asked for God's grace, His mercy, and said, oh, this people have sinned a great sin and have made them gold, gods of gold. Moses recognized this was not just some small sin of worshiping the golden calf, but this was a great sin. When Jesus was delivered to Pilate, and then Pilate talked about how he has the power to put him down, or crucify him, or to let him go, Jesus said, no, no power is given unless it was given from above. And it says, John nineteen eleven. Therefore he that delivered me unto thee hath the greater sin. He that delivered me unto thee hath the greater sin. Could be talking about Judas, could be talking about Cephas, um, the, the high priest that turned him over to Pilate. And so we see Jesus makes a distinction here that okay, Pilate was the government authority that he was being turned to, but he that turned him over had the greater sin. 2 Timothy 3.13, the Bible says, But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. That there is degrees, there is variance, that they will get worse and worse. And the purpose of this message isn't to um, point out or focus on, you know what, some, some of these sins are greater, but we're going to go ahead and give some examples to show um, that the Scriptures do teach a varying degrees. Go, go ahead and turn you first Corinthians 6.
1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 18. The Bible says, Flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body. But he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. What, know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you? What ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit which are God's. Here we see Paul gives a comparison that every sin that a man sins is without the body. Okay, you tell a lie. It's not really with your body. Sure, you maybe use your vocal cords to use it, but, but that it's not a sin against your body. But the Bible says when, when, when someone commits fornication, not only do you sin against, with your soul, you're sinning with your body, which the Bible says the body is the Lord's. That the body is God's. If you've been born again, you're saved. Our body belongs to the Lord, and we ought not to sin with our body. For we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Turn to Genesis chapter 9. Genesis 9 and verse 5. It says, And surely your blood of your lives will I require at the hand of every beast will I require it, and at the hand of man, at the hand of every man's brother will I require the life of man. Whoso shed a man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed, for in the image of God made he man. Here the Bible is speaking about murder. Or even an animal ends up getting out and kills somebody. Then the Bible says the beast shall be put to death. But the Bible here says, If someone else was to shed man's blood, who is made in the image of God, then likewise he shall suffer the death penalty. Now, not every sin in the Bible didn't have people put, be put to death. But murder was one of them. Jesus talked about those that would offend a little one, offend a child. That it would be better if a millstone were tied around his neck and him cast into the depths of the sea. So much for the meek and lowly Jesus. Okay? Jesus being meek and lowly did not mean he was weak. He confronted sin, but he did not, he did not say every single sin that that would be the consequence in this life. Turn to Proverbs chapter 6. Proverbs 6 in verse 30. It says, Men, do not despise the thief if he still to satisfy his soul when he is hungry. But if he be found, he shall restore sevenfold. He shall give all the substance of his house. But thief gets caught because he's hungry. No, don't despise him. But that he shall restore sevenfold. 
That's a pretty stiff penalty. Think of maybe someone that stole from you and they were supposed to give you sevenfold back. That's a pretty stiff penalty. Well, let's read on. It says, But whoso committed adultery with a woman, lack of understanding, he that doeth it destroyeth his own soul. A wound and dishonor shall he get, and his reproach shall not be wiped away. For jealousy is the rage of a man, therefore he will not spare in the day of vengeance. He will not regard any ransom, neither will he rest content, though thou givest many gifts. As far as I am aware, there is no other sin where the Bible says there will be a wound and a dishonor and a reproach that shall not be wiped away, except adultery. Now, this does not mean that adultery cannot be forgiven. It does not mean that there can't be restoration and and reconciliation, because obviously there can be. But still, there's that wound. There's that there's that hurt on the um, party that adultery was committed um, against. There's that sorrow. And yes, we strive not to live in guilt or live in the past, because we're made free in Christ, that we are forgiven and He's given us another chance. But yet we see the weight, there is still, in a sense, a reproach that does not wipe away. And it's something we just continually would need to give over um, to the Lord. There's a stigma that comes with it. Turn to Psalm 19. Psalm 19 in verse 12. says, Who can understand his ears? Cleanse thou me from secret faults. Keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then shall I be upright and I shall be innocent from the great transgression. Here he says, he acknowledges, Who could understand my ears? Uh, uh, who can understand his ears? That there are sometimes things, there is sometimes sin in our life that we don't even necessarily understand we're sinning. That we maybe don't have the concept that it is wrong, that it is a sin against God. We see that Paul, in persecuting the church, it says that he did it ignorantly. He thought he was persecuting the church. What's the right thing to do? He thought he was standing up for his God. But he, he was sinning in what he was doing. And so there are times where we have secret sins, things that we sometimes don't even understand or, or know that we're sinning. And here he asks the Lord, forgive me, cleanse me from, from secret faults. But then he talks about presumptuous sins. These are sins. These are things that you know in way you know something is wrong. And yet you continue to willingly do it. He says, Lord, help keep me from this. Keep me from presumptuous sins. That I may not have the great transgression. 
That if I keep having these sins in my life willingly, then it could become a greater transgression. It could, it, and he says, let them not have dominion over me. Then shall I be upright and I shall be innocent from the great transgression. Turn to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1 and verse 25. It says, Who changed the. Start in verse 24. Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts, to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. Who changed the truth of God into a lie, and worship and serve the creature more than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. They changed the truth of God. They changed it into, into a lie. They worshiped the creation instead of the Creator. Just for this cause, God gave them up unto vile affections. For even their woman did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burning their lust one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their ear which was meat. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. Here, the Bible talks about first, someone that rejects, despises God, and worships the creature more than God. They worship the creation, or what they would maybe call is Mother Earth, as many of them would. And they, they, they worship self, worship the creation. The Bible says that God will give them up to a reprobate mind. And he talks about, he gives them over to vile affections. He talks about homosexuality, men being with men, that which is against nature, unnatural. As far as I'm aware, it is the only sin that the Bible says is against nature is unnatural. That it, that it, that it doesn't work, it, 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 it's against nature. You know, people will sometimes debate, you know, okay, whether are they born this way or are they, um, or is it a choice? Well, one thing, we're all born sinners, okay? We are born with a sinful nature. But the Bible says homosexuality is against even nature itself. It is unnatural affection. And so usually most Christians would say, well, then it's probably a choice. And for many it probably is a choice. But many, in a way, it may not be a choice because it says God gave them up to this. God gave them up to this reprobate mind. That they worship the creature rather than the creator. They, they, they despise God and God gives them up to do things that are inconvenient, things that are gross. They've been given over to a reprobate mind. Turn to Proverbs chapter 6.
Proverbs 6 in verse 16. These six things of the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination unto him. Okay, six, and then seven, how does that make sense? Well, it is a poetic, um, poetic thing, and what it's saying is, okay, the first six things God absolutely hates, but the seven is a total abomination to him. It says, a proud look, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that device of wicked imaginations. Feet that be swift and running to mischief. A false witness that speak of lies. And the seven is this. He that soweth discord among the brethren. Now all of these sins were terrible or awful. But one of them that really rises up top in God's eyes is he that sows discord among the brethren. He that purposely, intentionally goes around to try to stir up strife between one Christian and another Christian. Shows how much God despises those that would sow discord. Some sins on the part of Christians warrant church discipline of the offender. Expulsion from the church, and the, the goal is for their restoration. But they need to be, it needs to be made clear to them that their sin is unacceptable. We see other sins, or we see in Romans 14, we see some things where rather than church discipline, but where you have patience with people, patience for them to grow um, in their walk with the Lord, um, patience and given further instruction. Rejection of greater revelation brings greater condemnation as well. Matthew eleven twenty three, Jesus said, And thou Capernaum, the city, the region of Capernaum, which art assaulted unto heaven, shall be brought down to hell. For if the mighty works which have been done in thee had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I say unto you that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for thee. Now the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah. What it was? They went after strange flesh. Homosexuality. Pride was another one. And God brought destruction to the place. God brought utter destruction. And now Jesus is here in Capernaum ministering, doing miracles, doing many mighty deeds. And yet they're rejecting Christ. And he is showing them that, okay, you know, if Sodom, if Jesus had came into flesh and been in Sodom, that people would have repented. People would have turned. They would have repented from their ways. And he's showing that Capernaum, who has a greater revelation, has greater light, shall receive greater judgment. That in the day of judgment, it will be more tolerable for Sodom than for Capernaum. Now, you know, when we know something, when we are made aware, when God's Word has instructed us, then there is a greater accountability to follow it, to obey it, than you'll be ignorant. To be 
Um, the Bible says we're all, his people is also destroyed because of lack of knowledge. And you know, when we're teachers, when we're people of authority, the Bible says we shall receive the greater condemnation too. That's why we need to be careful. The Bible says in James 3, 1, Be not many masters, for we shall receive the greater condemnation. Not that being a leader is wrong. But when you are a leader, you have influence. What you do, what you say, affects others to a greater degree. And we will receive a greater condemnation, a greater judgment. It's a fearful and trembling thing to be pastor, be a preacher. It's fearful and trembling to be in any type of leadership. Because you will have a greater condemnation than, say, if you were just a worker. Now, our attitude towards our sin should be intolerance. We ought not to compare ourselves to be like, you know what? This person has a greater sin. You know what? So I am just fine. That's not what the Scriptures teach at all. We should have zero tolerance for sin. We should, we, we should root it out. We should amputate it out of our life. Never excuse your sin by comparing it with another. Pastor R.B. Olette mentioned in a book he wrote um, that he was talking to an older preacher um, about pastors that have sinned, pastors that have fallen. The older pastor told him, you know what, you always hear about these guys that mess up and commit adultery. But you know what, for every pastor that commits adultery, there are ten pastors that have compromised. And for every ten pastors that have compromised, there are a hundred pastors that are full of pride and arrogance. And the men that compromise and the men that, that, uh, that are proud do more harm than a man that commits adultery. And this pastor quoted and said, you know what, David was called a man after God's own heart before the adultery and after the adultery. There's a problem with that. what pointed out was that there's only... David was only called a man after God's own heart before the sin they committed with Bathsheba. And then it's quoted in the New Testament when that was happening. Now, this doesn't mean that he wasn't a God after God's own heart, um, fallen after his repentance and the mercy, the grace he received, but he is not called that afterwards. And we see the devastating consequences David went through with the sin of adultery with Bathsheba. Later, some years later, our BLA was preaching in another state, and I'm hoping maybe Lord one will be able to have him come preach in our church um, one of these days, uh, maybe for a couple of day meeting. But um, he was preaching in another state, and a lady asked if she could talk with him. And um, so he listened to her, and as her story unfolded, that she was, she confessed that she was living in immorality with this man that he talked to in another state before. The one that was downplaying adultery. You see, he was trying to justify his own sin. You know, all these other preachers, you know what, their pride, 
they're compromising. It's greater than my sin. And he downplayed it. The, the, the preacher would often quote Martin Luther and say things um, that Martin Luther said, the founder of the Lutheran Church. He's, Luther said, it was good for great Christians to have some sin in their lives so they could experience God's grace. Martin Luther also said this, be a sinner and sin boldly, but believe and rejoice in Christ even more boldly. He said, whenever the devil harasses you, seek the company of men or drink more or joke and talk nonsense or do some other merry thing. Sometimes we must drink more, sport, recreate ourselves, and even sin a little to spite the devil, so that we leave him no place for trouble in our conscience and trifles. We are conquered if we try too conscientiously not to sin at all. So when the devil says to you, do not drink, answer him, I will drink and write freely just because you tell me not to. Founder of the Lutheran Church saying teaching this. This is anti-scriptural. The Bible doesn't teach. Okay, the Bible does teach that yes, we're all sinners. We have all fallen short. That we will battle in the flesh with sin. But never does the Scripture say, "Give in." Just go ahead and tolerate it because we're all sinners anyways. The Bible doesn't say, "Oh, sin more boldly so that you could experience grace." Now it says, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. God forbid that we continue in sin just because the grace of God abounds. Promise with little sins can lead to big sins. We see in the psalmist that he says, keep me from presumptuous sins that I may avoid the great transgression. David, the psalmist, understood that if he tolerated sin, even if it was viewed as a little sin, it would eventually lead to greater sins. If we allow ourselves to regularly lust after other women, it could lead to us having an affair. We see David lusted after Bathsheba, committed adultery, and then in effect committed murder against her husband by setting him up to die. So don't take from the message today that you can play around with lesser sins. It's all little sins will lead to bigger sins. Gunful Gebel Willems, the animal trainer, was involved in circus for over 20 years um, he always had a smile on his face, whether he was working with horses, elephants, or tigers and lions. He seemed to not flinch. He seemed to buddy up with them all. And just before he retired, he said he was quitting because he had become too accustomed to the big cats. That he was afraid that his fear, his respect of them, had waned, and that one of these days it was going to come back and bite him because he lost that fear. And so, even with sins that you may consider small, we must amputate them as they will lead to greater sins and greater consequences. Sin is not to be played with. It's the devil is just looking for an opportunity to devour you, to destroy your life. 
Remember, don't try to justify yourself because some other great leader had a fault or a problem. I'm not going to become a better preacher like Charles Spurgeon if I smoke cigars. It's just not going to happen. I'm not going to become a better evangelist if I weigh 350 pounds like D.L. Moody. Or G. Campbell Morgan, who was considered a great expositor of the Bible, who drunk brandy. I'm not going to become a greater expositor if I drink brandy. Yes, we all were false. We all have sin. But let's not try to imitate the faults of great men or great women. It's important to our spiritual health and our relationship with God that we maintain the proper attitude towards sin. Don't ever excuse your sin because someone you respect allows it in their life. Don't tolerate anything remaining in your life that you know to be wrong. But be committed to living for God. We'll close with this. Turn to Hebrews chapter 10. Sister Norma, if you go ahead and complete. Hebrews chapter 10. And we'll see really the greatest sin of all. Now, we're all transgressors of the law. We've all sinned. We've all broken God's law. Romans chapter 10. Hebrews, Hebrews, Hebrews. Hebrews 10 in verse 26. It says, For if we sin willfully after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remain of no more sacrifice for sins. That if we receive, if we sin willfully after we've received the knowledge of the truth. This, this, this is speaking if we, we learn, we hear of Christ. And we, we hear it and we reject it. There's no other sacrifice. There's not going to be some other Savior that comes down and die for your sins. Jesus is the only Savior. You're not going to be able to get in through some back end. Um, in new heaven. The Bible says, But a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation which shall devour the adversaries. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Of how much sore punishment suppose he shall he be thought worthy who have trodden underfoot the Son of God. And have counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified, an unholy thing, and have done despite unto the Spirit of grace. That here, the Spirit of God is working on someone's life. It is pricking someone's heart. And then they hear of, the, of Christ. They hear of His blood that He died for us. And yet they count it an unholy thing. And they trodden the Son of God underfoot. That they despise the Savior. The one that came to save them. To trot in under the foot. This is the Savior. The Son of God. There is no other sacrifice for sins. You reject the Savior. Your eternity is in the lake of fire. Yes, you know what? Everybody struggles with sin. But don't let your sin be a rejection of the Savior. You see, He's the only hope to save us from our sin. 
goes on, For we know him that have said, Vengeance belongeth unto me. I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again, the Lord shall judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. A fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. A holy, holy, holy God. See, Oregon goes his in place. What will you do with Jesus? Will you trot in him underfoot? Or will you receive him as your Savior? So you know what? Whether it be a little sin or a great sin, again, we've broken the law of God. So we've fallen short of the glory of God. We can't save ourselves by our works. Because we are all sinners. Let's go ahead and stand for a time of invitation. Bow, bow our heads. Eyes closed. Is anybody in here? You don't know Jesus is your Savior. And you would like to get that assurance. You want to know that you could have eternal life. That your sins, though they be as scarlet, can be washed white as snow. Why don't you signify by raising your hand and we'll have someone show you from the Word of God how you could have eternal life and know it. Christians, don't justify your sin by thinking, oh, it's a little sin. Little sin has consequences and it will lead to greater sins. As Jesus said, of thy right eye offend thee and take it out. And what he's saying is, you know what? Cut sin at its source. Don't let the sin you fester to grow. That when lust is conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And then sin bringeth forth death. Maybe there's sin in your life that you need victory over. You will ask the Lord for His help to overcome presumptuous sins. Ask Him to reveal any secret faults that you may have. Any secret sins. Things that maybe you know Him in that you may grow in grace. God not wanting us to live in sin is for our own benefit. I mentioned this in Sunday school today. You take the Ten Commandments. The commandments weren't there to make our life miserable, to make the Christian life no fun. No, he, he gave it that we may be able to be happy, that we may be able to be joyful, that we may be able to benefit from obeying his word. He doesn't say thou shalt not steal so you can't have fun. No, he doesn't want anybody stealing from you. He doesn't say thou shalt not commit adultery because he doesn't want you to entertain yourself. He says that so there'd be the unity in the home. That would be a picture of the love of Christ for His church. The joy of a happy home. Didn't say thou shalt not kill because 
He wants you to feel miserable. He said that for your benefit. So you know, when God's Word maybe even sometimes feels tough, receive it, accept it, and repent. Turn to Christ. Dear Heavenly Father, we praise You, Lord. We ask You, Lord, that You help us with our sin. Help us with our sin corporately, Lord. Overcome it. You know, You mentioned that the seven was an abomination. He that sow of discord among the brethren. And if there is any discord, Lord, we pray, Lord, that You help us to cleanse that out. That You would purify it. We pray, Lord, that You help us, keep us from presumptuous sins. And You're there to help us. You've given us Your Word. You're there for us to cry upon in prayer. But You've also given us the will to follow Your Spirit or to follow the flesh. I pray, Lord, that we will respond to Your Spirit and not give in to the flesh. Is you have a life for us that would be joyful, abundant, one where we could be a light to others with the gospel. We pray, Lord, that we won't give the enemies of God an occasion to speak evil of you, but that our life will be a testimony to others. In Jesus' name, amen. Family fun night this Wednesday. And couples banquet this Saturday at 5 o'clock. And I'm so glad I'm being here. And, and